Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. It is a heartbreaking problem that's impossible to ignore. The thousands of Californians visibly struggling with mental illness, substance abuse, and often homelessness. Governor Gavin Newsom recently introduced a new policy framework to tackle the state's struggles with delivering mental health treatment. The proposal calls for a statewide network of care courts to serve as a mental health arm of county civil courts. It's a bold plan, and Governor Newsom is here to talk about it. Then we'll hear expert reactions and unpack what the plan may look like in action. That's all coming up next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. Earlier this month, Governor Gavin Newsom unveiled a proposal for addressing the state's failures to adequately treat and support Californians suffering from mental illness and substance abuse disorders, many of whom are also experiencing homelessness. CARE Courts, standing for Community Assistance, Recovery and Empowerment, would, among other things, make it possible to set up court-ordered care plans for those needing treatment. Joining me now to talk about this proposal is California Governor Gavin Newsom. Governor, welcome to Forum. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. And I want to tell listeners, if you have a question or comment for the governor regarding care courts, he's only here for a short time, but you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org or share them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Governor, I've actually uh, covered you and your political career for a long time, um, coming back to when you were mayor of San Francisco, a city that's unfortunately become synonymous in some ways with these challenges around homelessness and mental health. Um, Can you talk about what brought you to this moment? Because I know that you have tried over the years in public service a lot of different approaches to tackling this. No, I just, uh, it's, it's, it's unconscionable what's happening all across the states, not just in San Francisco. It's all across the state, uh, rural parts of the state, uh, parts of the state we haven't seen uh, the, these conditions before. And people are, have had it. They're exhausted. Uh, they're sick and tired of hearing people like me on programs like this, identifying the problem, but not doing anything substantively to address it. And I think the most vexing and frustrating for all of us is you see people out on the streets and sidewalks self-medicating with drug or alcohol all addictions uh, that, that clearly are, are struggling with psychotic disorders or schizophrenia spectrum. And, and, and we seem, they, not, not only do they seem helpless, but society seems helpless in terms of addressing their needs. And so in an effort to do more than we've done, and by the way, 
$14 billion of investments, new investments in the last few years uh, that we have initiated. Uh, we recognize there was a gap in those investments and that was addressing uh, those that uh, are impaired severely, uh, that were falling through the crack, cracks with outdated rules and regulations that were established in a world that no longer exists from the 50s and 60s. And and we wanted a new approach. And, and that's what led us to Care Corp. And so this try to tries to sort of bridge that gap, right, between a, a, a short term 72 hour mental, uh, you know, a mental illness hold, you know, short of a full conservatorship, which is when somebody essentially their rights are taken away and handed off to somebody else to manage their life and decisions. What made you, you know, come to this? Because earlier this year, you had talked about the possibility of expanding conservatorships. Look, we've been, you know, it's there's an old old saw that goes, if you don't like the answer, ask a better question. And we were asking the wrong question for years and years and years. And I say years, I'm talking decades. We've been debating the merits or demerits of reforming 1950s, 1960s era LPS uh, and strategies uh, around conservatorships that uh, were constructed, again, in a world that no longer exists. And the frustration there was the friction. People are saying you're going too far, saying you're not going far enough. Uh, we played into that a little bit a few years ago by reforming, quote unquote, Laura's Law. Uh, but it had de minimis impact. In fact, 218 people have been served under the reforms that we advanced under Laura's law. I mean, it's just a drop in the bucket. And so we decided to ask ourselves a different question as a construct. You're right. We're trying to find a gap, create something brand new, not a replacement for LPS, not a replacement for Laura's law, but an opportunity to create a care plan that that supports decision-making, doesn't substitutes decision-making from individuals, gives them due process and rights by having a public defender and a new supporter uh, that uh, is overseen by a clinical team and a court-ordered plan up to 12 months that is a paradigm shift, a totally new approach, a different pathway uh, to support individuals before, upstream, before they end up uh, in the system before they get arrested, end up in jail, before they end up in a more restrictive conservatorship. And so that's why we think this uh, has merits and we think this is resonating with the public in ways, frankly, new proposals coming out of Sacramento haven't in years. So walk me through this. If I have a family member, for example, who's mentally ill and I just have not been able to, to get them to accept treatment or connect them with that treatment, what would be the mechanism here? Well, you have the opportunity to refer that individual, family members, first responders, the counties themselves, care providers, and that referral process we want to expand. And we think that's foundational in terms of this effort. Uh, you'll go through an evaluation. Uh, there'll be a clinical team to evaluate you. Uh, you will have due process as it relates to uh, a care plan that will be established under court order with specialty courts, as you referenced in the outset of this discussion, uh, again, overseen by clinical teams, uh, and we'll support that process. Uh, individualized plans, uh, supportive process uh, that includes stabilization medication, includes housing as a foundational component, supported by unprecedented investments that we're making uh, in rebuilding our board and care infrastructure in the state, unprecedented investments uh, in supportive services, including ongoing services that have substantially increased over the last few years. And so uh, it's, it's a scalable process that will take a few years to unfold, uh, but has the opportunity 
to create accountability that just simply has not existed in the state for decades. And is part of this, I mean, I, I want to get into the, you know, the impact on the individuals. And I know there are civil liberties concerns, but I'm also mm-hmm. wondering how much of this is about pushing counties and governments to respond, because what you're saying here is we're going to give you money to create a new infrastructure to sort of compel this treatment. But it, you're saying you already have provided the money for that treatment. Why aren't counties doing this already? Well, I mean, accountability has to go both ways now. I, I think I've said this a lot. I was a former mayor, as you noted, in San Francisco. I never really looked, honestly, I didn't look to the state. I mean, I long lamented the good old days when housing and urban development was in the housing business. I, I longed for the days before Ronald Reagan's infamous 1967 budget that began to substantially cut investments in this space. I longed for the days uh, where the state of California was a true partner, let alone the federal government in these efforts. But at the end of the day, accountability is at the local level. I say it often, perhaps overly stated that localism is determinative. And so the state vision, the national vision is realized at the local level. And so we need more transparency, more accountability. We're providing money for 33,000 new slots and beds. We have provided unprecedented supports for cities and counties. And Marissa, let me be specific. When I got here just three years ago, there was no housing and homeless plan for this state. There was no funding and there was no accountability at the local level. All right, let me be fair. There was $500 million in funding for homelessness, but no accountability, no plan. Now, $14 billion, if you add the 12 that was approved last year, the two that's in our budget this year, uh, providing upwards of 55,000 units of housing, plans that are required to come from the cities and counties by June. Uh, we're going to measure the performance of these cities and counties. But at the end of the day, we got to drive deeper to individualized accountability, not just county accountability. And that's where we're going with these care courts so we can drive accountability uh, down to the streets, not just down to the county level in a way that could produce the results that everybody listening expects and individuals that are struggling and suffering deserve. We have a question from a listener. Sharon wants to know, how will this effort be sustained if someone experiencing homelessness is not housed? She says, so the idea is good, but how do you ensure someone gets meds, continues to take it? How do you make sure they stay in a program? Well, that's the whole idea of these care plans. In fact, substantively, it's the reason we conceived of the care court to create uh, this stabilization medication programs, to create a plan to provide uh, supportive housing and the appropriate housing for that individual, uh, to provide that oversight and support with new supporters and having uh, the county wraparound services, uh, to provide, again, supportive decision-making. And this is really the distinction that's so critical. It's the reason I'm repeating it. Substitute decision-making is the traditional LPS, the Lantern Petra Short Act that was established in 1967, and that was to push deinstitutionalization to the community. We never funded the community care, and that's the more restrictive conservatorship, and that's been the paradigm that we've been uh, trying uh, to reform. This is different than that substitute model, taking over decision-making for individuals and instead providing supportive decision-making, which we think will be more, uh, uh, much more effective in terms of of long-term support. So giving people program, agency to actually... Giving people choose. agency. Giving people agency, providing individualized care plans, care plans over a 12-month period with a 12-month extension and housing's a foundational component. And uh, in this, you know, or, you know, forgive me for belaboring the point, or we could continue to do what we've done. And that's to experience, you know, 56,000 people last year, 5150 and 5250, which is the 14 day hold, not just this 5150, 72 hour hold, 100 and 100 plus thousand two years ago, 
under the 5150, this episodic, all the dots disconnected strategy that, that, that has no rhyme or reason and is serving no real purpose. And that's why we want this new approach. We're going to hear from uh, someone from Disability Rights Advocate after you, you go, Gavin Newsom. But I want to ask you, Governor, to just respond to the concern that, you know, coercion is not the best way to do this. It sounds like you feel like there's a way to sort of make this maybe on the front end, you know, push people into it, but, but get their buy-in. Yeah, I, look, I deeply respect that point of view, and I'm, I'm overwhelmingly sensitive to it, and uh, have great respect uh, for uh, the individual that will be following up in this discussion. Uh, I also have, um, you know, great disdain for the status quo. It's not working, and so you know, we've got to we've got to take accountability ourselves to try new things, to iterate with the compassion and values that we hold dear. Uh, no one's going to walk away from that compassion, that value system. That's California. There'll be more oversight in this state than any other state in the country to do this right. I'm really proud of the National Alliance of Mental Illness. They just endorsed this plan, not just L.A. County, not just uh, other uh, leaders across this state. We're, we've, we've really invested time and energy uh, to reach out to those that are concerned. And, and we're not, again, talking about a replacement for Laura's Law or LPS. And, and I appreciate their argument. This is a new approach. And uh, and we, you know, to prove us wrong. Don't assume that we can't do this right. Yeah. In just the you know minute and a half we have left, I know that the details are still being fleshed out. You've been going to counties, talking to them about what they want to see in this plan. Talk us through the next month or two. Like, what's next on this? Well, we've been reaching out. It, it, I, I I cannot impress upon you. The response has been overwhelming in ways that, you know, in hindsight, are not surprising because people have had it. They're just they're exhausted. They can't take what's happening on the streets and sidewalks. They can't take what's happening with these encampments and tents. And they're wondering where the heck all their tax dollars are going and what happened to the state. And I hear them loudly and clearly. And I'm in the front of that line, not in the back of that line. Uh, the next step is to continue to reach out to those that are concerned about this, folks that are on the front lines that have to implement it, to listen to them. And I've been doing that all up and down the state and to work with legislative leaders to make sure we have appropriate oversight and that we hold ourselves to a higher level of accountability as we apply and implement this. But here's the most exciting part. We want to move and we want to move quickly. Uh, we want to do it in the next few months, working with our legislative leaders. We have the resources. We have a resourceful mindset. It's a new day, new paradigm. And uh, we're looking forward to getting something big done. Governor Gavin Newsom, I really appreciate you joining us this morning. Honored to be with you. That was Governor Gavin Newsom. We're going to keep talking about his new mental health plan, a proposal called Care Courts after the break. Uh, stay with us. I'm Marisa Lagos, and this is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos uh, in this week for Mina Kim. We're talking today about the governor's new mental health plan, a proposal called Care Courts that would create a mental health arm in county civil courts. I'm joined now by Jason Elliott, senior counselor to Governor Gavin Newsom. Jason, welcome to Forum. Good morning, Marisa. And also with us is Kim Peterson, a senior attorney with Disability Rights California. Kim, thank you so much for your time as well. Thank you for having me today. So, Kim, I'd love to start with you. Um, you heard the governor, uh, you know, lay out his point of view on this. Um, I know that disability rights and other groups have some concerns. Can you just kind of react to what he said and, and tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about this proposal? Yeah. So the first thing I want to make clear is that we at Disability Rights California completely agree with the governor that California's homelessness crisis, especially among people living with mental health disabilities and substance use disorders, is a problem that demands our urgent attention. However, we disagree that the care court framework is the right way to address this crisis. Um, Rather than funnel seven to 12,000 Californians living with a specific mental health diagnosis into a court process that they would otherwise not have been involved in, The state should instead allocate the billions of dollars that it's talking about here towards placement of this population in housing first, followed by engagement in voluntary services with increased accountability for the counties and other entities responsible for providing them. Oh, oh, sorry. I was. No, I just wonder. I, I mean, yeah, I just want to know, like, what what that accountability looks like. I think that that and that, that was something I was trying to get at with the governor was that this, you know, I, I like, obviously this is targeting the individuals who are who are suffering and, and having challenges. But it does seem like there's a stick for counties as well that has not existed before. And I know that if you go around the state, there's just a wide range of the way that counties are responding to the money they've been given and 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 the sort of expectations around treatment housing. Et yeah, I completely agree. You know, in our statewide work, Disability Rights California sees how the provision of behavioral health services throughout the state varies greatly between urban and rural areas um, and between remote areas and, and other places. And so we do think that there is room for more accountability over the government entities that are responsible for providing these services. But court should be the absolute last stop on a person's recovery journey. Um, You know, over the last two weeks, we've heard the governor and his staff talk about the importance of upstream interventions to prevent bad outcomes like um, jail and conservatorship. But a court process is not a true upstream intervention. Um, A truly upstream intervention does whatever it takes to patiently and persistently engage people in the full spectrum of housing and community-based services that the the administration is talking about. So we think that there should definitely be accountability on the county side, but that doesn't involve necessarily bringing the person who is receiving the services into court and putting them under a court order. Jason Elliott, I mean, you helped craft this plan. You've worked for the governor when he was mayor of San Francisco, um, now following him up to the state. Why this? uh, Can you kind of respond to some of Kim's concerns? Because I think talking to folks in the administration, I think you all feel like you've tried a lot of the things she's talking about. Sure. And thanks for having me on forum. And hi, Kim, we haven't had the pleasure of meeting. So we'll meet on air this morning. Um, so I just to respond to a, a couple of the points uh, that Kim made in the questions you asked, Marisa, you know, I think hearing Kim talk and, and the passion that she and her organization bring to helping people um, means that we have shared ground for what we're trying to accomplish. And then the question is how to do it. Um, 
the, the Kim makes the point that we should allocate billions towards placements. In fact, that's exactly what we're in the process of doing. The budget that the governor and the legislature passed last year, plus the proposal that we have made this year, uh, taken in total, creates 33,000 new permanent treatment slots uh, for Californians. This is not uh, this is not attached to care court so much as it is independent of care court. This is what we need to be doing to create more capacity to help people get off the streets and into the treatment they need. So certainly allocating billions towards placement, that's well underway. That money is going out the door as we speak, literally this month. Um, in terms of increasing accountability, as the, go the governor said, and I'll reiterate, uh, so much of the work around homelessness and, and behavioral health is implemented at the local level by cities and counties. We have new laws in California that were passed last year, signed by the governor, that require a whole bunch more accountability, not just, hey, send us a report and we'll take a look at a report, but real accountability. We need to see what your metrics are, set goals, numerical goals, hold yourself to those goals, and funding attaches to that. And there are consequences if local governments don't meet those goals. And then, you know, finally, Kim made another important point, um, which is that strategies vary widely across the state. And this is part of the reason why we thought care court was so important. Kim is absolutely right. There are some counties and cities that are doing a phenomenal job, a model job in providing these cities. And then there are other places that perhaps have not put as much effort into that. And we need consistency across the state because whether you're suffering from behavioral health challenges in Kern County or LA County, you're a Californian and you deserve our compassion. And there should be some consistency across that spectrum. We're talking about the governor's new mental health plan, a proposal called Care Courts with Jason Elliott, senior counselor to Governor Gavin Newsom, and Kim Peterson, senior attorney with Disability Rights California. What questions do you have about Newsom's proposal? What are your hopes or concerns? Have you or a loved one struggled to get support or access appropriate mental health services or substance abuse treatment? Call us now. We're at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Kim Peterson, I want to come back to you. I feel like sometimes we have these conversations kind of up in the in the ether, right, about the money put out and the idea, you know, the sort of ideas behind it. But you and I and probably Jason have all talked to family members of people struggling with mental health, substance abuse, homelessness, who feel like they cannot help them. So I just want to see from your perspective, you know, if you are talking to somebody like that who maybe thinks that this is a good way to go because they have just done everything they could possibly do to try to get a loved one help and could not get them to come on board. Like, what's the alternative? What would you like to see the state do specifically in those types of cases? Thanks for that question. And I think this is a really important perspective. Um, I have talked over my career with many, many family members who are in exactly the same situation. And I don't want to discount how difficult it is for families and loved ones of people living with um, severe mental illness or substance use disorder. Um, but again, this goes back to patient and persistent engagement of people in services and giving them choices and options instead of trying to fit people into a one size fits all scenario. What we hear from a lot of people who are in the population that is being targeted um, by the government for enrollment in care court is that they need housing before anything else. It's very difficult to engage in services and 
take care of other responsibilities in your life if you don't have a baseline of stability. And so a lot of times people are offered services, um, but they're not offered housing to go along with it. And so we believe strongly in the housing first principle that someone should be offered housing um, and then have the opportunity to participate in services if they want to. And sometimes that comes after a period of, you know, achieving some stability in housing and then having the wherewithal to think about being able to address other parts of their lives. So I think this really comes back to looking at addressing people's basic needs for survival before we're putting them in a situation where we're trying to, you know, force them into a treatment situation. I hear that, Kim, but before I let Jason respond, I mean, I have, you know, people I went to high school with, a, a kid who died of a drug overdose less than a mile from his parents' house. They had a bedroom available to him. They had that option, but he was so deep in the throes of mental illness and addiction, he wouldn't accept that help. Like, what? Like in those sorts of cases, is there not an argument for some sort of compelled intervention? You know, I, I hear that. And I, our position is the state already has those resources in place. And through, whether it's through the existing LPS system that the governor talked about, whether it's through Laura's Law or assisted outpatient treatment, um, as the governor talked about, the issue with these systems is they're not working because the state has not provided the necessary resources to be able to allow them to work. Um, for example, Laura's Law or assisted outpatient treatment is not funded by the state. For counties that choose to adopt it, the counties have to come up with the money to provide the services in addition to all the services that they're already providing. And so this is an infrastructure problem. And I, I agree that the system right now that we have set up is not working. <laughs> there are many ways in which it's not working. But instead of building out a whole new system with the billions of dollars that the state has at its disposal, let's put that money towards the existing systems, see if we can actually make them work better, collect data on the, the programs as they're offering, because that's another issue is that the state is not collecting data about all of these different programs, including outcomes of people who are putting on being put on LPS holds, and then make decisions based on actual data and fully funded programs. All right. Jason Elliott, Senior Counsel to Governor Gavin Newsom, your response to what Kim's saying? Sure. Uh, look, uh, 100,000 people a year are put onto what people know as 5150 holds or sort of emergency psychiatric holds. And they're shuffled through emergency rooms um, all throughout the state. The system is not working. That's not housing first. That's not compassionate. It's, it's inhumane and setting aside that it's, it's a waste of public resources. We must do better. And as Kim has discussed, let's look at what the existing system is. Largely the existing system funnels people with serious behavioral health challenges, mental health, substance abuse challenges into two pathways. The first is conservatorship, which has been discussed. Conservatorship means taking someone's rights away and putting them behind the locked door. So it's, I just, I don't understand why that would be something we would want to necessarily expand. That is substituting decision-making. That's locking people away um, for their own good. And in some cases that serves an important purpose, but that shouldn't be the first order response. The other place that the state ends up engaging people and 
providing them services is through what we call the incompetent to stand trial process, where if you're accused of a crime, you come before a judge and the judge finds you incompetent to stand trial. You're committed in many cases to a state hospital where you are, again, locked away. So I don't know that we should necessarily try to funnel more people into a process that restricts their rights. If we can create a better pathway that is supporting their decision making to heal uh, as opposed to substituting their decision making. You know, NAMI, the governor mentioned that the um, National Alliance on Mental Illness, which largely represents families of people suffering from behavioral health challenges, they wrote us a letter a couple of days ago, and I'm quoting from their letter, we can no longer accept a fail first system. There's much more in their letter, of course, but yeah. uh, we agree, we can no longer accept a fail first system. Now we will always be, and the governor will always be committed to what Kim re- referred to as the housing uh, first approach, which means get people into housing and try to solve uh, all of their other challenges once they're in that housing. Care court doesn't erase housing first. It's additive to it. If we can find someone in an encampment who needs housing, we're going to get them into that housing. That housing is going to be offered and we'll get people into that housing. But in the in the event that someone either can't or won't accept that housing, uh, we don't give up on them. We don't say you're service resistant. Service resistant is is a myth. We have to keep trying. We have to keep pushing. We have to keep working with people to meet their needs. And in some cases, that means uh, providing uh, a more robust set of treatment solutions in addition to the housing. Care plans from the care court include a housing plan. And Marisa, you gave the example of a young man who had potentially an opportunity to live with family. Right In that case, we would say that's a great housing plan. Not everyone is lucky enough to have a family member who will take him or her back in. So in those cases, we have to look to other places uh, in the government. So there is no one size fits all. Each care plan will be uniquely tailored to the needs and desires of the person uh, who is being served. All right. I want to bring in a few more voices here. Um, Joining us now is Jenna Grigsby. She's chief deputy city attorney of the criminal division in Santa Monica City Attorney Office, uh, where they have uh, something called Homeless Community Court. Uh, Jenna, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Also here is Maya Buena Ventura. She's a research manager at the California Policy Lab who evaluated Santa Monica's homeless community court. And Jenna, um, just tell us quickly the, the construct of that court and how it's different, but maybe somewhat similar to what we're talking about here for a statewide care court. Sure. And again, thank you so much yeah. for providing me the opportunity to talk about our programs Um Homeless Court has been in existence in Santa Monica since 2007, and we serve the high utilizer population in the area, both those who have a high number of police and fire contacts, as well as contacts with the Santa Monica Police Department. And these high utilizers really are folks who have been contacted by service providers, you know, how we have tried to get them into a housing first model and have been um, unable to, for whatever reasons, um, follow through with those issues. And so they pick up criminal citations and that's how we start them along the process of, of homeless court. And the thing that I think is really innovative and what Santa Monica has done and have been a forefront at is this collaborative method. So it is not an adversarial court. You know, most people think of court as, you know, the public defender against the prosecutor fighting it out. But with homeless court, it's really how can we all work together to provide the service that will help this person not only change the behavior, but get them the resources, whether mental health, substance abuse, housing, that gets them out of the situation that they're in that brought them into contact with the Santa Monica Police Department. 
And it's that collaborative effort that has really proved to be successful. So we work with the service team to reduce the barriers to housing. Sometimes it's as simple as getting them a driver's license or getting them a social security card. You know, Mm -hmm. those are things that people don't think about, but that folks who are struggling need help in being able to do those things like get to the DMV. So in working in working with the service provider and their public defender, we are enabling them to access services in a way that they wouldn't be able to if they weren't in homeless community court. So interesting. So Maya Buenaventura, you uh, assess this um, this this community court. And can you tell us how effective it's been? And if you think that the sort of model of having a judge, a system involved, which is a concern of folks like Kim Peterson, is helpful or can be harmful? Sure. So I evaluated Santa Monica's homeless community court over the uh, uh, the course of uh, 10 years. I looked at the period from when it started in 2007 to 2017. This is a report I did while I was at RAND. Um, and I attended uh, community court sessions over the course of a year. In addition, I interviewed uh, various individuals uh, involved in the court, and that includes participants. So one thing that kept coming up was how important uh, the judge was in the process. She was a very compassionate individual, but she was also a person who held people to account. So I think that's something that it's a really good point. It can be overlooked. The people who manage the process are just incredibly important. Um, I also had data to look at housing outcomes for people that participated in the court. And I found that compared to a comparison group, they did have much better housing outcomes after participation in the court. They stayed housed for a much longer period of time um, compared to a group of similar individuals. Um, I was unable to look at uh, criminal justice outcomes of data, but anecdotally, um, they did uh, have much less justice contact after participation in the court. And so do you think that even though this new proposal won't have that same stick of a misdemeanor uh, charge, right, which is often the sort of way you can talk people into participating in these programs, there would still be participation? Yeah, that's really hard to say. Um, Santa Monica's Homeless Community Court, as as well as other kind of alternative courts, do have that major carrot of people having their open uh, misdemeanor cases dropped. Um, and without that, it's it's really hard to say whether um, care courts are going to be successful or not. Absolutely. We are talking about the governor's new proposal. I'm going to let Maya Buenaventura go. We really appreciate your time. Uh, she's research manager at the California Policy Lab and evaluated Santa Monica's homeless community court at RAND. Thanks, Maya. Thank you much. We're going to stick with uh, Jason Elliott of the governor's office, Kim Peterson from Disability Rights California, and Jenna Grigsby, chief deputy city attorney in Santa Monica. We have a lot of calls, so stick with us. We'll be taking your questions after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos, and uh, we are here this morning talking about a proposal by Governor Gavin Newsom to create a new mental health court in civil county courts. Here with us is Jason Elliott, senior counsel to Governor Newsom, Kim Peterson, senior attorney with Disability Rights California, and Jenna Grigsby, chief deputy city attorney of the criminal division in the Santa Monica City Attorney's Office, where they have a homeless court dedicated uh, to some of these similar challenges. Uh, Jenna, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about what the governor's proposing and what y'all are doing down there is this idea of having um, advocates essentially for the folks involved in this court. So a public defender, um, a, a, a somebody else. And I, I have a question from a, a listener saying there are many peer specialists throughout the state specifically trained and have worked for years with difficult populations, often untreated, uh, serious mental health and illness. Um, she wants to know uh, about the governor's experience, the you know, bringing those people in. But before we go to Jason, can you just tell us how you in Santa Monica have tried to include that sort of expertise in the process? That's a great question. And I think, again, going back to what makes Santa Monica's homeless court so innovative is that we really work with the service provider, which I think is very equivalent to what the governor's support person would be, because I'm I'm not a social worker. I can't tell you what this person needs to be successful. So having that either someone with lived experience or someone who's connected to the service agency as a case manager to really be the advocate for the folks who are struggling makes a huge difference and working with them in a collaborative fashion so that we can inform the judge, you know, again, the judge doesn't want to give this person goals that aren't going to be successful or attainable. You want to give them small successes so that they feel like they're making progress. So we work with the service providers, case manager, you know, the equivalent to what I I believe the care court support person would be to really ensure that we are giving goals to an individual that are going to help them move them along, whether that's removing the barriers to housing, whether it's making sure they're medication compliant, whether it's getting to the doctor to get a wound um, cared for. You know, those are the things that we can only find out through the relationship the defendant has with the case manager. So it's an important relationship, and I think it's one that really makes our homeless community court successful. Yeah. Kim, uh, we're getting some really compelling calls. I want to bring some folks in, but I'm just curious, like when you hear that and you think about the idea of having a public defender as part of care courts and advocates, does that alleviate any of the concerns or is it just still this idea of coercion at at the core of it? I think we still have definitely have concerns about coercion at the core of it. And I think, you know, just going back to the premise on which care court is, is built, which is that people are going to voluntarily agree to be part of a court system. That I think is, flawed logic because court is a traumatic place for many people and not a healing place due to previous experiences in court, dealing with traumatic life experiences like evictions, criminal charges, domestic violence, or previous 
involuntary mental health treatment. And so because of those prior experiences, many people may be unlikely to trust that a court is a safe place for them and may be unwilling to even engage in the care court process. And so our big question is what are going to be the options, the housing and the services options that are provided to people who are deemed to need that level of care, but don't choose to come to care court because of, you know, whatever might happen and have happened in their past or whatever, you know, decisions and factors that they're looking at in terms of the offer being made to them. Yeah. I want to bring in Candy from Alamina. Can- uh, Candy, go ahead. Oh, just one second. There you are. Hi, Candy. Yeah. I'm I'm the parent of a young man with schizophrenia who was abandoned by the system. And he ended up at Napa State Hospital after a terrible tragedy. Um, Someone else lost their life. And but he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. He's been there for 10 years now. And there was nothing, nothing in the system that allowed us to help our very old son. One reason we need the support of many people of care court is that many people with severe mental illness do not have the understanding that they are ill or their need for care. The same as the person with Alzheimer's. And lastly, I just, I know I don't have a lot of time, but in regards to disability rights, there are no rights for someone who is living in degradation on the streets or in paranoia or in jail or dead. And we desperately need care court. It's in the right direction. We need change. There's been no accountability in our system. And we are struggling. Families cannot do it alone. All right. Thank you for your call, Candy. Um, Jason, your response, I'm sure you've spoken to many families like Candy before. Yeah, I mean, my response is first, Candy. I'm uh, so sorry for the the trauma that it sounds like your family has been through. I can't imagine I'm a father myself. Um, but you know, I, I think, and I, and of course, I don't know the story of your son, so I don't want to speak directly to the particulars of that case. Uh, but look, it, 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 and this harkens back to something I said earlier. In California, we've made a decision that will put you in court once you've committed a crime. Uh, we'll put you in court and we'll provide services for you, but it's in, in this case, Napa State Hospital. Um, we're largely talking about serving people through care court who are finding themselves in court under much more traumatic situations now, facing confinement, facing a loss of their civil liberties. Um, and and we, we'd prefer uh, to provide a suite of services, housing, treatment services to people uh, before they're facing those consequences. And, you know, I, I think just to, to ground this in a little bit of data, um, people that uh, are conserved have conservatorships every year in California. There's about 5,500 people who are under conservatorship. That's not new people because some people are under conservatorships for many years. Uh, so that's 5,500 people. And then the number of people who are found, um, you know, uh, uh, criminally either this sort of not guilty by reason of insanity or incompetent to stand trial. It's about another 50, uh, excuse me, 4,500. So you've got about 10,000 people who are um, losing their civil liberties, perhaps justifiably. And we want to know how many of those people we can serve uh, before they find themselves in that extremely traumatic situation. Jason, and, do you and know part- how many people you think need this assistance? Yeah, we estimate that it's um, a, a, between seven and 12,000 people statewide at present. So that's not the entire universe of people who will ever need this. It's sort of a point in time. And again, it's an estimate because, you know, we, we focus on people that are experiencing homelessness uh, who are also uh, suffering from behavioral health challenges. 
we can sort of try to approximate and count those people, but there are potentially many more who are living with a family member uh, at home uh, who are not making themselves known to the system. And we'd much rather try to help that person with the suite of services that we are able to offer through the counties. Now, before we encounter that person through a law enforcement context, before they're arrested, before they tragically perpetrate violence against someone else or themselves. So we want to engage people earlier in their life. And I just want to, if I can, Marisa, just talk a little bit about the support person, because Jenna is absolutely right. It is based um, on a model that comes out of the disability rights uh, context and, and disability community where you have a supporter, someone who is not a public defender and not a prosecutor, but an advocate for the person and an advocate for the person who's not only helping them think through the decisions they need to make uh, to better themselves, but helping them program their leisure time so that their days can be more fulfilling and they can be on a path towards healing. The, the care court model is not brand new. The care court model was inspired by a number of local implementations across the state and across the country that are proving really good results. Maya talked a little bit about some of the data that they found for one particular example, and there are a number of others across the state. We know this can work if we take it to scale and if we systematize it and standardize it across the state. So the support person is really an important part uh, of this model so that the, the, the individual who we're trying to help at the end of the day uh, has some voice and some agency in making decisions about their care. We are talking about the governor's proposal to tackle mental health and substance abuse challenges. And we have a lot of comments coming in. Shahar writes, Yesterday while getting coffee in West San Jose, I saw a young man who clearly needed help. He was on the road talking to himself and taking his clothes off. Who should I have called at that moment? How would the new law get him help? Or would he be back on the streets? Uh, Jenna, obviously, uh, you you know, you're a chief deputy city attorney in Santa Monica. But in general, what do you tell people who want to help and, and don't necessarily want to call the police? So it's interesting because that's really been a common thread in a lot of different communities. And I know um, here in Santa Monica, we are trying to roll out um, an alternate response model where the, you know, folks can call 911 and their calls are dispatched to either a, you know, trauma response person, or we have a critical response unit run through the fire department where it's not necessarily a police issue, but there may be, you know, some kind of mental health crisis going on. You know, and at the end of the day, right now, there's no good answer to who you should call, because obviously, if there's a public safety risk, then 911 and the police are going to be your best option. And we're very fortunate in Santa Monica to have a specialized unit that directly deals with our homeless liaison project. They're officers who are trained and deal exclusively with folks who are experiencing homelessness. And they have a lot of you know training and work with folks who are also experiencing mental health crisis to de-escalate situations. And as you know, Kim mentioned earlier, there is a lot of you know trauma around court systems and the police departments. Right. But when you have these specialty teams, they they build rapport and relationships. So not only SMPD but the court as well. And so it, it turns it on its head in the sense that these courts and these police officers are going that extra mile. We have help team officers that will you know drive folks to the DMV to help them navigate that system. You know, we have the court officer who will talk about and encourage folks to just, you know, take a shower and stay at the shelter bed one more night. You know, things that aren't typically what you think of when you encounter the justice system, but it takes that extra mile when you're dealing with this population 
that has so many other issues that aren't just necessarily, you know, they're committing a crime on the street. And so looking at it as a, you know, 10,000 foot view, you know, kind of this holistic perspective, it's just another angle and option to help folks when you have the right officers and you have the right bench, bench officers that, you know, are more compassionate and have empathy for these folks and want to try to help them in any way, shape or form. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, if there's a public safety risk, you need to call 911. But I know our city, as well as some of the other cities, are looking at these alternative response models to try to help folks that are experiencing those mental health crises. Absolutely. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in This Week for Mina Kim. I want to bring in another caller, Leela from Half Moon Bay. Leela, go ahead. Um, hi, I'm so glad that this is happening. I have a 36 year old daughter who is brilliant, who is a licensed Chinese medicine doctor. And about a year ago, her bipolar hit her again. We have no idea where she is. The only reason we've even found out was because the police department in Los Angeles has arrested her a couple times in December. They put her in a, a department with nurses for two days, and um, actually really one day for most of it, where the nurses were afraid to even give her a pen to sign anything because she was just screaming and banging and, and acting out. They send in a therapist for two minutes. She can say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I don't want to go anywhere. And they let her go. And I've asked three times when this just happened in December, could you please hold her for at least two days so I can get down there and get her? We have family money that we can take care of her with, but they will not help. They just say, I'm sorry, we can't do anything. We have to let her go. She doesn't realize how ill she is, just like the woman before me has said, what do I do? Thank you so much, Leela. And I'm so sorry to hear this. Um, Kim Peterson, I'd love to come back to you. Um, I know you're an attorney with disability rights, but but obviously your group works with folks. Um, how? What is the middle ground here for helping somebody like Leela's daughter without violating their rights? Um, yeah, thanks for that question. And Leela, I'm very sorry that your family is in this situation. And again, I just want to reiterate that I know that these are not easy situations for family members and loved ones of people living with severe mental illness. Um, I think that all of this is is extremely difficult and there's a lot of gray area. And, you know, going back to the, the premise of care court, the, the, the administration is talking about care court being a voluntary program for people who recognize that they need help and, you know, want to come to care court in order to get services. And I just question whether Care Court is actually going to provide meaningful assistance to people like Leela's daughter, who may or may not have insight into what is going on in their lives, and um, if they can, if the outreach workers or the county staff can't get someone to agree to come to Care Court, what is the plan for those people? Are they going to be tried to engage in voluntary services? Are they going to be offered housing? Are they going to have to default to um, the current set of involuntary treatment options that we have in the state? And so I think that right now in the system that we have, I don't know that there is a good middle ground, but I don't know that care court is the right way to help people like Leela's daughter who may not be able to be engaged to the point where they are agreeing to come to court and they're agreeing to participate in an assessment. 
All right. We also have Chris from Modesto who writes, I agree with Kim Peterson. I've worked in mental health and taking clients into court is not a win for the client. The two deficiencies exacerbating the problem are lack of housing and meaningful work for clients. Does this program cover people that are on the margins, those who are nonviolent, non-drug, and non-alcohol addicted? In any case, I'm not supportive of a significant amount of these dollars going to attorneys. I think uh, Jason's addressed a lot of those comments, and I do want to bring in one more caller before the end of the hour. Allison in Oakland. Allison, go ahead. Hello, my name's Allison. I have a daughter uh, with schizophrenia, dual diagnosis, a meth addict. She's been homeless or in institutions for six or seven years. And um, we family members, there's a lot of us in Alameda County have talked about care court. We support it as the best step towards what could be a future, a chance of survival for our loved ones, given a climate in which groups like disability rights who don't represent me or my daughter or people like her are trying to preserve their right to be homeless, to be gang-raped on the street, to take drugs, to take poisonous drugs, to be beaten by police, to be jailed, and to have an early death on the street. I don't think they understand civil rights as including a right to life and health. I want to see my daughter alive and well. And for a few hundred people in each county, care court could be a path toward finding those people, not all the homeless, not all the mentally ill by any means, a small fraction of people who are clearly failing themselves and alarming everybody around them and at risk of being a victim of violence or of creating violence. Those few people, if care court doesn't work for them, There may be a path for conservatorship and for actual help and for expanding the system by a few hundred beds per county so that we can keep our children, Candy's son and other people, alive. And so I applaud Care Court, even though it's kind of complicated and has a lot of details to work out. All right. We are going to have to leave it there. Allison, thank you so much for telling your story and and being part of this discussion. I want to thank our guest, Jason Elliott, uh, Senior Counsel to Governor Gavin Newsom. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Marisa. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Kim Peterson, Senior Attorney with Disability Rights California. Kim, let's keep this conversation going. Yes, thank you for having all of us today. And Jenna Grisby, uh, Grigsby from the Santa Monica City Attorney's Office. Jenna, really appreciate your perspective as well. Thank you so much. Look forward to the conversation in the future. Earlier, we also heard from Maya Buenaventura with the California Policy Lab and Governor Gavin Newsom himself. Uh, this is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim this week. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks especially to our listeners today. This was a tough conversation and we really appreciate everybody participating. See you tomorrow. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.